0: Dear Young African, in the words of Theodore Roosevelt, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Welcome to Dear Young African with me, Nana Fredia Ajamai in this podcast we have only one message for the young african listening don't give up your excuses are valid but so are your dreams and this is the place to come to when you need to remind yourself of that truth in this podcast we will be speaking to those africans who keep going to inspire others to do same so dear young african if you're listening this is for you Hello podcast family, hope you are doing well and enjoying the holiday season. This week, I am bringing you the story of a young African woman who is the founder of one of Ghana's leading social enterprises called Dignified Wear. Dignified Wear is on a mission to create decent employment for the physically challenged and rural women by training and employing them as an ethical and eco-cultural producer in Africa. Our guest is also a trained tutor for nursing training colleges and health assistant schools in Ghana. She is a mentor and it goes without saying that she is an advocate for persons with disability. She was one of the 16 winners of the United Nations Development Programme, UNDP, Youth Innovation for Sustainable Development Challenge. And she's also won a contract from the Social Inclusive Business Fund in Marcel France after being part of the UNDP Challenge. Our guest today is Mabel Sugro. Hi, Mabel.
1: Hello, Nama.
0: How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. And you?
0: I, I am fine. Thank you so much for making time for this. I know you're a new mother, so let me just say congrats on that.
1: Thank you. Thank you, too, for the opportunity to be on your podcast.
0: I really appreciate you doing this. So before we start and get, you know, all serious about your journey into, into doing the work that you do, on the podcast we sort of uh we ask our guests three questions just to get to know them better so we're going to start with these three questions and I would like to hear what your answers are so question number one what is your favorite childhood memory
1: my favorite childhood what memory memory yes well when I used to sell ice cream
0: interesting (laughs) why 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 is that your favorite
1: I I used to sell ice cream at church and then in the market or market days in Laura in the Upper West region. So um, especially the church part, you know, you don't sell during the church service. So when people close and a whole lot of customers comes around you and you are selling, it makes you busy, that kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Right, right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What is the best advice you've ever received from anyone at all?
1: I think that is from my big sister okay uh, yes uh, I think I asked her the question why is it that sometimes you are not you you don't get what you really want and he said that uh, she said that is because you can't always have everything you want but if only you are persistent and uh, you keep pushing you definitely get what you want at the right time
0: sounds like you have a great big sister
1: (laughs) yes uh, she's 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 a superwoman i I must admit that if you are listening to this male dress i say thank you so very much
0: ah nice shout out there and the final question if you had any superpower what would it be
1: maybe the ability to fly so that i can be at places as at when i want sometimes you need to be at a place very urgently by traffic and all those things, it's, it's so annoying. So if I could get any superpower, it's flying skills or flying power I want.
0: Okay, okay. I, I'm not sure you would get that, but maybe, you know, we'll have flying cars very soon. So you'll you get that very soon.
1: All right. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. So, I mean, just getting into, into the conversation, you know, I read your story. I was really inspired by it. And uh, thank you to my very good friend, Selassie, who also, you know, introduced you to me and made it the connection very easy. What you do is really inspiring, because I've always said this that and, and it's and it's something that, to be honest, I'm still trying to investigate and 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 to understand really well. i I think the most impactful work is not really the work that is so glamorous when when I say that, I mean it's not the work that people are always eager to do, and the work that you do is 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 I can tell that it's it's work that you know requires you to actually have the passion to do that. So I want to start off by asking you. What really is what, what do you consider as your purpose, Mabel?
1: Well, I just feel like you know, in every life and in, with every human being, there is always a purpose for your existence. Nobody out of the over 7 billion people on this earth, each of us was created for a specific purpose, and it's out, it's, it's, it's up to you to discover that because if you don't do it. God will definitely find a replacement or somebody to get it done. So it's up to you to get to know what you were created to do and fulfill that purpose or destiny. I feel I've been called or it's been purpose, God purpose that I should just be a helpmate or helper for the less privileged in the society. I think in my life journey, I'm always encountering these people and that keeps um, keep confirming the reason why I'm existing or that keep confirming my purpose in life.
0: Right. And so, I mean, reading a bit of your story, I read that, you know, you were first inspired by seeing your late grandma who had leprosy. And you know, with just a thumb, she was she was doing all sorts of farming work in order to feed her family and and you know and and to, to to help you guys sustain yourselves. How did that really impact you? What kind of spirit did that instill in you at at a very young age?
1: When I was always with my grandmom, with her doing all this thing as a child, I didn't really understand it, but for me, that was the normalcy of life. I saw it to be normal because that's a daily routine or things I see. Right. So I actually got to know it was a problem when I grew up and seeing people similar with her is similar to her that are having to beg on the streets for livelihoods and all those things. Meanwhile, my grandma, with all the discrimination and marginalization, she was able to do something worthwhile for herself. So, and we, which we are grateful to God for she having a piece of land that is what her resource, right? So, it's when I grew up and I saw that this is the challenge, and uh, it's as a result of they not really having anything to do. Then I began to think of what could be their resource in terms of grandma, it was their land, but they might not be able to farm. So, right. I started thinking through what could be that resource for them that they could harness and make a good living out of it, and then within lot of trial and error we finally landed on the production of shoes and other accessories
0: so it was not just you jumping straight into figuring out uh what dignified wear well was going to be cuz i'm i'm really interested in in what uh led to that like you said your grandma had a piece of land she decided to do farming but you know you did not decide to do farming you decided decided to do dignified work well. can you first of all tell us what you guys do at Dignified Wear and uh, what, what, you said there was a bit of trial of failure before you finally landed on Dignified Wear. What was that like?
1: How we actually came into the production of shoes and other accessories. First of all, a, a, it's based on two factors. The first being the first person I met who is Kingsford, his abilities, and then the second one, what was economical for me. Because when I started this whole project, I was in the university. And my mom, all her children are in the health sector. My big sister is a nutritionist. And the second one is a nurse. I went into education. So, Mm. you know, with African parents, they are always expecting that you get into their white-collar job. And so me having to go and bring about this kind of entrepreneurship, something was met with a little bit of resistance because I didn't really have... I don't really have anybody in the family to look up to right. to say, okay, I want to be like uncle this or auntie this. So bring it it was new. So when I met Kingsford, he told me that he um he said he was a graduate, he graduated from the J School for the Disabled. And as the saying goes, that it's better to let a fish swim in water than forcing it to climb a tree.
0: So mm. I thought of
1: it that. Instead of maybe I having to look for because growing up in upper west, I saw blind and other fiscally challenged people weaving beds and chairs out of these ropes and uh, nylon ropes. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking of actually. But when he said that he he learned how to do leather work I said, well, then it's better to get the maximum productivity or to get the maximum output, it's better we told the line he's already used to. Because in in teaching, they taught us that you have to teach from the relevant previous knowledge.
0: Mm. Before,
1: you now add on new knowledge. You can't just get up and bring new knowledge when you can't relate it to anything. So with that regard, I thought of um, what we could do. My grandmom too, and most of the farmers in the Upper I don't know whether you've been to the Upper West.
0: I haven't, unfortunately.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Most of the farmers, they were cross sandals with um, um, made of car ties to the farm right. just because it was durable because we call it the dakuleda in our language that means buy and never buy
0: <laughs> when you
1: buy it, when you buy it because of the thick nature of it nothing can no nail can break it no tongue can prank it right and you are you are good to go by then it was MDGs Millennium development goals sustainability and all those things were being brought up and all those things so as a, an educationist, I did health science. I read health science in school. I was, uh, I'm to be a health promoter. So I thought of how can my business promote the health of people as at the same time still bring me my money because I'm interested in the money. Yeah. So I thought of it that instead of these cutter that are have been at Gugloshi and other scrap across the country to extract the uh, wires and threats, why don't we uh, use it to make shoes. So initially we wanted to be making the farmer type of shoes, but I realized that these farmers are (laughs) rural farmers. They can't afford to buy how much we are selling it because producing in Kumasi and sending all the way to North, it doesn't make sense. Economic sense, it doesn't make it because they won't even be able to afford it. So I thought of said, well, if it is that kind of our target market wouldn't really fetch us the impact we are looking for so i sort of modernizing it so i said okay everybody wears shoes and due to the dusty and stony nature of our our roads yeah it is good to have uh, shoes that can really last for you so that was when we brought about a scrap fabric shoes and then the beaded uh, shoes and all those things because we all we have to do is just use the eyes for the soles of the shoes, and we'll still uh, achieve the, the goal we want, which is promoting a healthy environment for humans and ourselves. So at our Dignified, way, what we do is simple, even though it's challenging. We train mm-hmm. and employ persons with disabilities and rural women to hand make durable, fashionable and um, versatile shoes, um, handbags, locally woven fabric clothing, and traditional jewelry from recycled products recycled material, such as used tires, scrap fabric, cotton threads, recycled glass and plastic beads. Yeah. It looks like
0: someone would say the stars aligned <laughs> in your favor, because after the time you were talking about, oh, you're planning to do all of this, you know, uh, the MDGs were, were something that were very relevant. So you were, you know, sort of aligning yourself in that direction. You also uh, met uh, Kinsley, who I believe is your uh, partner or someone who works for you. and also uh you know you you had that um degree uh, studying education so for you did it just come naturally that okay how did you connect the dots did that just occur to you that okay well you know I've studied education and you know this is how I can apply it MDGs are there they're asking for sustainability and all of that how can I tap into that how did you think about all of that
1: the dots weren't like I wasn't just identifying the dots easily and connecting because as I told you, I was a university student by then, 19 years of age in level 100. By then I've not graduated. I've not really studied. I was, I've not really studied the, should I say my program to the end because I graduated in 2017. So I didn't really know the ins and outs of it. But as I was saying, as uh, the MDGs were now becoming uh, SDGs, What I got to understand by reading online was that a sustainable business should be one that is um, not upsetting the ecosystem in any way. And like you should have the triple bottom line, which is people, planet and profit. So whatever I have to do, I should make sure that it's not harming people. It is not harming the planet. And then at the same time, it is getting me the money I want. So, I, I began thinking in that regard. And then, working with Kingsford, had the people side covered because he, they are the kind of people I'm trying to uh, give sustainable livelihoods to. And then, the planet, in the sense that I thought of saying, OK, not burning the car ties. So, that one is covered, and with my profit also being covered. So, that was when I realized that this, uh, even though it's scattered. If I'm able to get it into one chain of uh, flow, it's going to help. And uh, yes, I've not really regretted because I feel fulfilled that I'm doing something that is not upsetting because now global climate change is is a whole lot of challenge for the world. So finding out that I'm also doing something that is mitigating this is, 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 is inspiring. And then at the same time, the people that I'm trying to create employment for are also getting what they are doing, yes.
0: Absolutely. And I certainly agree with you that climate change has become a hot topic now. And, you know, we recently saw at COP26 how countries are making certain commitments. We're, we're seeing how that is going to play out. But I really think that it's businesses like yours that are making, though they may be very little impact, but, you know, when, when there is that rapport effect, when people begin to see what you're doing, I think it inspires uh, action in other people to also toe to the same line. So I think it's really important. One thing that we hear a lot is disability is not inability. And I I even read the same thing on your website. I think that, you know, even though we hear that a lot, we do not really accept it. You know, we do not really come to accept that, okay, as an employer, for example, I can say, well, disability is not inability. So I will go out there and actually employ people with with disability and be intentional about it. Because the truth is that when you have someone who has a disability, it might take them maybe some extra time to be able to do certain tasks that you need them to do. So as someone who employs people with disability, can you take us through what it is like to work with them? And what, what advice would you give to any employer out there who, who is looking to you know, take that step of employing people with disability?
1: And that's why I, I told you earlier on that, that working with these people can be a bit challenging for a number of factors. Number one, our social or cultural background, where we think that such people are cursed or, yes, cursed children from the gods. And then another factor being their educational qualification. And another factor being the fact that it is a physically challenged or a person with disability that is doing this or that. Like in Ghana, it is now that it's getting better because of the advocacy and the education that is going on. People didn't really just want to, should I say, mingle or be around yeah. such people. So for me, I think one other reason why I'm really making physically challenged people my core and rural women, my core employees, is that they didn't have the opportunity to be educated like me or any other, should I say, educated person. Because, first of all, our institutions are not even welcoming. And even right. the most of the government institutions that they can work at if they have the qualifications are not disability friendly. Sometimes you, you would see, they will be showing on news and TV how fiscally challenged children are finding it difficult to climb classes that are very high on the story so i thought to myself if you know that you are going to admit such people why don't you bring their classes to the ground floor or maybe right. just have some special building and move all of that class set to that place but they have to go through this ordeal and one even had to go through the ordeal of becoming and getting to become a lawyer but nobody is wanting to employ her right they she would like she was really venting her anger on, on TV. I've just decided to do this because grandma was not educated, number one. She too was a rural woman. So I said that, well, if grandma could do it is by seeing, is there a matter of also teaching these people because it's out of commitment and they wanting to really use their hand and their mind. Because it's all your leg that's physically challenged. The the, the other parts of your body is is, is working. So your disability should not be your inability. I decided to give them that opportunity to make a living out of their lives by showing them how to, training them how to make this craft. And they're doing it. Their disability is not inability. It's, It's really true. But yes, of course, there are still some other physically challenged or disabled people that want to do nothing because in this world, you can't really have a 100% perfection. We take them through this uh, orientation to get, to let them know that you are just like me, Mabel, that I'm standing and talking and disability can happen to anybody at any time because right. God forbid, but if I should get an accident right now and I'm not able to walk, yes, I've also become physically challenged. So they shouldn't, um, look down on themselves. But know that they're also doing something worthwhile, just like every other able person. Because if they're educated, they can sit behind computer and write any form of script or maybe sit behind a mic and interview people just like we are doing and all those things. So they shouldn't just look down upon themselves, but they should persist and strive to make use of the opportunities that are always uh, 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 available to them. Right. Just like normal
0: person. I mean, you mentioned something interesting there that, you know, you taking them through that orientation to influence them in a way to understand that your disability is, is not your inability. Do you find that working with disabled people, it is difficult to bring them up to that belief of, you know what, you can actually do it. And what are some of the practical things that you, you tell them to be able to encourage them or to inspire them that you can actually, you're, you're just as capable as a, as someone without a disability?
1: It's always very challenging from the onset because when, uh, as you are talking, they are looking at you and they are saying, "Their heads, eh, it's because you are able, that's how you are saying all this English. Or maybe, <laughs> but the final part of it is getting their own type of person like Kingsford to speak to them because mm. he, has been, he has been with me for years. So he using his own life story as his testimony is what's really good because this is somebody that is also like you, he uses crutches like you and rides a bicycle like you. So they are able to relate to that very easily than me standing there and trying to motivate them. Uh-huh. So he is in charge of that right now, the orientation he shares his testimony and then get them to know that it's possible if only you are determined enough to do that.
0: I love what you just said there the power of having role models for them to actually look up to. Apart from that, what are some of the things that we can do to make sure that these people actually begin to have the confidence and and uh, uh, and do the things that they, they, they are capable of and reaching their fullest potential?
1: First of all, I think like every other, should I say, self-employed person or entrepreneur like me, no matter what, even if it is a service, there is something a physically challenged person can do. Unless, of course, your, your production is too technical, maybe full of machineries that maybe they can't operate in all those things. But even with the machineries, it depends. If it is very simple, simple tools, you can teach them how to use. Like, let's say, if it is even a saloon, you can, if it is a big saloon where they have receptionists and all those things, a, a, a physical challenged person can be because when, when they are sitting down and an able person is sitting down until so they get up to use their crutches or a whole chair, you wouldn't get to know that they, they are physically challenged. Yeah. So if it's at the reception of uh, a saloon and then such a person is there to maybe just sit down and take contacts of uh, customers and numbers, and let's say one day, somebody comes to see that a fiscal challenge is also doing this, it will inspire another person, another hairdresser, or maybe it might inspire other employees to also do a, a, a other employers to also do the same thing. So right. I think uh, society, in as much as we are always wanting to meet our, 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 our timelines and all those things, there are simple, simple places such people can come in. And right now we, we hire for attitude and train for skill. Unless, of course, the person is not willing. But if the person mm. is willing, just give the person the opportunity to prove themselves worthwhile. And that would be a very great step or huge step uh, in, in bridging the gap of this unemployment amongst the vulnerable.
0: I like what you just said. You What did you say? You train, you hire for attitude and train for skill. Is that what you said? Yeah. I yes, love please. that. I love Thank that. Uh, let's talk about your your journey of, you know, being in business. You run a social enterprise. On your website, you say that every uh, the purchase of any of your ethical and fashionable merchandise contributes $5 to um, the purchase of personal aids for the Ghanaian disabled. And, you know, that's really commendable. For a social enterprise, are you making enough money that is able to support yourself? Because at the end of the day, like you said, it's people, it's planet, and it's also profit. So how are you running, how are you making sure you're running a sustainable uh, social enterprise?
1: We we are more like running a, a lean startup because as you said, basically our funds are not always enough to uh, do such. But they are also uh, goodwill people that are out there that do give us grants and uh, donations. So in as much as we are not able to generate enough sales to do this, we do that from the other uh, gifts and donations we get. For the past three years, we are looking at providing uh, um, shoes for barefooted students in deprived areas of Ghana. As of now, what I just want us to focus mainly on the persons with disabilities because that is what I just feel like I should go all full-time into. So now we've decided to be buying wheelchairs, bicycles, earpods for the hearing impaired and all because I have a hearing impaired guy, walking sticks and all those things for the blind. So that that sense of wanting to make life comfortable for people like grandma, which would really be achieved so yes we do the sales are not enough to make us uh be able to do this but for the goodwill donations and benevolence of other people we get that done yes
0: are you satisfied with your business are you do you feel fulfilled by it
1: yes if not like by now i would have really given up because i've met the good and i've met the bad I've hired and fired and all those things. So I'm fulfilled. Everybody can't like what you are doing. And mm. it's okay. It's it, it, that's even if everybody likes you, there's a problem with you. Because even <laughs> Jesus himself, Romans didn't like him. Now like you a human being. So I'm 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 fulfilled, if I should say, yes. I'm I'm really very fulfilled because even though the the pace at which I'm moving, I would have loved that. It's, it's much more faster, but at least uh, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a step. So once we are moving and keep working, that is the way to go.
0: Indeed, a, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a step. What has been some of the, the toughest times for your uh, your business? You know, you mentioned earlier on that you, just a few minutes ago, that you, you've you hired and fired. Earlier on, you also mentioned about how there have been some difficulty uh working with people with disability but apart from that what have been some of the toughest times that you know you felt like you know what i think i think we're done here
1: i think one other thing was also funding because um i remember when i started out because i didn't really have any good coach or maybe mentor i i didn't know starting a business with a loan is a no 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 <laughs> but i thought that. It didn't work because as at the time i would go to the band they would say collateral and whatever. And I said go, like, I'm a graduate. I'm a university student, I have nothing. I just have myself and my idea. So, but so that money wasn't giving me. But because of supportive uh, family and my number one investor being my big sister, Mildred here again, she kept pumping money into the idea when she realized that it it was really viable and it's it's it's, it's She's also really very passionate about the vulnerable in the society. So she she is my, should I say, my number one founder? So, and my mom, financial and then the other part of uh, having to be patient with people to pick up. Because Mm. during the learning process, you have to still buy or provide materials that they have to use in the learning, which... At the end of the day all of this still increase cost but you can't sell uh, too much above the competitors price because you have to have give customers their value for their money so those have been the challenges but now we are with the people that they can understand the wastage is minimized and like the cost of operation is really very minimized now
0: you mentioned over the the impacts that having a mentor has had on, on on you? You mentioned that before you didn't have a mentor, but I, I believe now you do. Yes. Yes. Apart from, you know, having a mentor, and if you can touch on that also, wh- when you answer this question, what are some of the things that you do to, to constantly improve yourself, you know, for someone who's in a business, which is this competitive, because, you know, there are a lot of people who do, you know, uh, what you do but yeah. don't necessarily do it, you know, the way you do it. They do, they're not necessarily running a social enterprise, but they do exactly what you do. So what are some of the things that you do in order to, you know, improve the business model? Also get just get better at what you do. What are some of the steps that you take?
1: Apart from having a mentor that I, I, I speak to for advice and some of the ideas I want to do, the other thing is, you know, Practice, they say make man's perfect. And you can't really practice something you don't know. So constantly, I keep taking opportunities of all uh, avenues to learn. That is by reading online, or maybe if I see that somebody is doing, like naturally, I like art. Or like when I see colors being mixed and that, I like those kind of things. So the moment I'm seeing that somebody has, is wearing something that is interesting or to me, I just take a picture, like I ask for the permission of the person and just take the picture and maybe look at how I can do it. And then try to see the trends through across the fashion industry, because people can be wanting to be wearing boots and you are there forcing chalewati on them. It it, (laughs) it, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) It doesn't make sense because their trend determines what you, you produce because you have to make the money to stay in business i can't just that's how come i couldn't just say oh because i want to do social good i will keep on producing this uh cross sandals worn by farmers when yeah. in actual sense the working class is not interested in wearing that kind of cross <laughs> even now students they are not interested in wearing those kind of cross sandals to school then i'll say no 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 because I, no, no no it doesn't make sense that way so first of all it is um by mentorship or maybe having somebody to look up to. And then secondly, being teachable or wanting to learn or being curious. Yes, and then just be open-minded because sometimes just by interacting with somebody, the person goes like, oh, do you know you can do even like, the other time, for instance, a client was telling me that I can actually make this training I'm giving to her in the form of this A, B and B so that um, it will bring extra income. Or revenue into the business. And as it went like, well, that's a very good idea. So, in short, it's through mentorship, being um, creative or wanting to. <laughs> oh my God.
0: It's all right. Maybe the baby also wants to contribute.
1: <laughs> okay. It's okay. Mm-mm. Good. Okay. So, through mentorship, being open to learn through research, uh, both offline and online, and then being open minded and welcoming to the views of. Others. yeah
0: just to touch on mentorship again because i'm really passionate about that what was the difference you know with and without a mentorship can you just give us an example of something you were not doing before or something you're doing wrongly that you know you started you stopped doing because a mentor said so and so what has been the impact of having a mentor basically on your business
1: i didn't really have a mentor it's like every idea i have should i say i'm the one that finally makes the decision because i feel like like just based on the knowledge I have. But with the mentorship, I put across such ideas. Of we sometimes it goes like, oh, I don't think this is the right time because maybe if it's involving finances, now you're not financially strong to carry out this idea or maybe this action you want to take. So maybe hold on with it for... A number of months or years, then you can go back to it. Or an outright no, 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 no. It kind of giving me the opportunity to be able to get guided or like um, experience knowledge. or yes. yes, because if you don't have the knowledge, you won't even know how to go about implementing it. So it's it has given me the opportunity to not make some mistakes that uh, are very avoidable.
0: Right. I want to talk about how you moved from someone who used to, you know, teach nurses. Why did you then shift to, you know, bec- doing Dignified Work? Because you said, you know, you face a lot of, a lot of uh, let me say, criticism from your family saying, okay, this may not be the perfect thing for you to do. You need to toe the line of, you know, uh, something that is more assured, something that can give you a guarantee of, of, of a salary. So, how were you able to just, you know, take that bold step, that, you know what, I'm going to move from something that is very comfortable for me as, as as someone who teaches nurses and move on to follow my passion, basically?
1: So, well, it all began when after service, I wasn't really getting, should I say, official employment.
0: So, so after, after service being the national service?
1: Service, yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I wasn't getting any, and up to now, I'm not getting any formal job, but where I've gotten to right now, I don't think seeking formal job is any, anything I'll look at, because even our finance minister is saying our payroll, government payroll is full. So yeah. everybody should be an entrepreneur. <laughs> and I'm glad that I'm already in this space before whoever is coming, because I've made my mistakes, I've learned my lessons, and I would be able to pull other people and advise other people along the way. And then the second part being, I got an offer in a, should I say a village sort of like, and for three months I wasn't paid. So, and it was my business funds I was using to do my transportation and all other expenses. So I went like, this doesn't, so my mom is even here. I can give to her and she will testify. (laughs) I went like, mommy, this doesn't make sense. Because you are saying I should get a formal employment, but here's the case, it's rather my business, a funds I'm using to support myself for this formal employment. So right. in sense, it is my business I should be focusing on. And after a little one or two chats and convincing here and there, she just allowed me to be myself and that of my big sister too as well, because... It, it wasn't just making sense. And me, it's my life principle that borrowing, no, I wouldn't borrow. So what what's the essence of having to be a formal worker? When by the time your salary is coming, you are owing people left, right, center. It can't even help you in any way. When what I'm doing is not illegal too. So it's better I just focus yeah. on my passion yeah. instead of wanting to, should I say, oh. please my parents. In that yeah. regard, in actual sense, that is not what I want to
0: do. I think what, what one of the few, last few questions I want to ask you is, you know, how you intend to scale your business, you know, with the rights of technology and all of that. What you do is handmade, is handcrafted. So, yeah. you know, how do you intend to scale? Do you intend to employ more people? What really is the future for Dignified work?
1: I intend to scale by, in two ways. First, employing more people. Because as, as you rightly said, these are things we make with the hand. So we definitely need to get more people on board. And the other side being the use of technology, because there are processes we can automate, like uh, that of cutting of the tires into the soles of the shoes. Because there is this machine called clinging machine, when you put the sheet of the the tire on it it can just cut it automatically instead of we having to use a knife to cut it and and have to file again and all those things so the use of the cleaning machine will shorten the processes of having to cut with your hand and making mm-hmm. it even in all those things so first we are going to scale through the um, by employing more people because okay. the beading no matter which machine you bring can never be the way you want it to be and mm. secondly by mm. using technology in, right. in, in automating some of our work processes. Yeah.
0: Right. And finally, last question I want to ask you is this. If anyone is listening and is thinking of, you know, working with people with disability, what is the best advice that you would give them?
1: The advice I'll give to anyone that is working with people with disability or wants to work start working with people with disabilities, just like the way you have patience for people, give them that space to grow and adapt it's, it's true that we are always wanting things very fast but allow the person the space to grow and pick up and then when they pick up then you can now move at the, uh, the speed you want to move with with them if not they'll feel drained and once they are drained they won't be motivated to do anything so that's the advice I can give to anybody that wants to
0: work with physically challenged people yeah. Thank you so much Mabel and I just w- w- want to end with this I uh, I was on your Twitter page and I watched a video that UNDP put up of you I think they did an interview of you and uh, I saw one I- I'm not sure I think it was one of your workers and he said something that really struck me and he said that because of the work that he's doing you know at Dignified where you know, he's earned the respect from people and also from his own family members. So, you know, you are truly making an impact. Just looking at the stats of the number of people that are living with disability in Africa, as of 2018, it was about 60 to 80 million people that, okay. you know, are living with disability. So I'm hoping that anyone who listens to this, it inspires them to begin to to look at people with disability and actually live that truth that we we constantly say that disability is not inability so thank you so much for doing the work that you do and uh, I really hope that this has a ripple effect on on other businesses large businesses in Ghana and ultimately you know the, the policies that we have throughout all sectors of governance so thank you so much
1: yeah welcome thank you too for the opportunity
0: thank you so much for staying and listening if you enjoyed this episode why don't you share with a friend or that whatsapp group you're part of i would really appreciate it if you could rate review and subscribe it helps other young africans to find us thank you and see you in the next episode